This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919-1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Have you heard the news? The Indo Daily is up for a Listener's Choice Award. Head over to the irishpodcastawards.ie forward slash vote. You're listening to the best of the Indo Daily, your chance to catch up on the most popular episodes of the year so far. With record-breaking temperatures already in place in August this month and a yellow status heatwave warning in place at the moment, we take you back to a conversation last month between the Indo-Daily and one of the country's leading climate experts who warned that Ireland's heatwave is a sign of things to come. Today on the Indo-Daily, a tale of fire and ice why extreme weather is here to stay. A state of alert has been declared in Portugal as soaring temperatures cause much of Europe to swelter. Temperatures in Portugal and Spain have reached the mid-40s. We've seen over the past couple of weeks temperature conditions in Spain and Portugal which are really akin to Death Valley in California. They're not that much cooler, maybe a degree or so cooler than what is the warmest place on the planet. Even in Britain, the government has issued an extreme weather notice. Heat waves are becoming more frequent and more extreme because of climate change. Scorching temperatures. The mercury is rising around the world. Submerged suburbs. A tornado ripped through a southwestern Dutch city on Monday, killing one person and injuring ten others. Melting glaciers. The world is under attack from extreme weather. And look, even in Ireland, we're basking in our own mini heatwave with a status yellow warning, something we associate more with heavy rain than sunshine. So should we be worried about these scorching temperatures and the stark changes in our own climate? In Ireland, we often think of those places further south and in the developing world as the places that are suffering from climate change. And it's very much a mistake because we in Ireland are also experiencing the same kind of changes as the global average. Have we passed the point of no return when it comes to reversing climate change? Well, today on the Indo Daily, I'm joined by John Sweeney, Emeritus Professor at NUI Maynooth and Climate Change Scientist, to forecast how Ireland's weather and indeed our climate could be changed forever. John Sweeney, this past month alone, we've had tornadoes in the Netherlands, unprecedented temperatures in Asia and much of Europe, uh, a large glacier collapsing in the Alps in Italy, Bangladesh underwater. I could go on and on. What is happening and why are there so many examples of such extreme weather this summer? 
We've seen an exceptional um, summer so far in 2022. And uh, I suppose, you know, we've had a series of extreme events, as you described there, uh, ranging from a, a very dry uh, and very hot May in parts of Spain, which haven't been reached uh, over the past 50 years, to a series of heat waves in Europe, which we're now in the midst of. But at a wider scale, we've seen massive floods in Australia. We've seen temperatures over 35 degrees centigrade for a week in Tokyo. Uh, we've seen extreme heat at the moment also in, in North America. And uh, I think about 80 cities in China are now issuing heat alerts. So globally, we're seeing a whole series of extreme events on this uh, on this summer. We've, we've come through the third warmest June on record. It's all part and parcel, really, of, uh, I think, a growing tendency towards extreme events uh, around the world as a consequence of the warming of the land and the warming of the ocean and the input, if you like, of more energy into the atmospheric system as a consequence of what we're doing uh, to the atmosphere. And extreme events, um, if you think about them, you know, we used to talk about the once in 50 year event or the once in a century storm uh, or the once in 500 year flood. And when we did that, we were thinking in terms of a statistical analysis based on past records in many cases. It's now quite clear to us, to us, I think that that kind of thinking is very much flawed because we can't really rely on the past as an indicator of what's happening in the present and in the future. And when you look at extremes of, of those kinds that we've been describing, um, we're seeing, if you like, the harbingers of what's to come because extreme events when you move, if you like, the bell curve of distribution of temperature or distribution of flood events to the right, then the tails, if you like, grow much more than the middle part. <laughs> and so we get much more frequent events as a consequence. But around the world, this summer in particular, uh, we've seen, I think, uh, in, in the case of the Australian uh, floods, those horrific floods in, in Sydney and in Queensland, we've seen the effects of a, a, a pan-global temperature change, if you like, as a result of the La Nina event in the Pacific Ocean, which has brought warm air uh, over, the, over the east coast of Australia and produced those torrential downpours and torrential floods that we've seen there. And that warm air is also uh, affecting the, the northern part of the Pacific in, in terms of China and Japan, as we've seen there. This is now officially the hottest place in Japan. It's been above 40 degrees twice already this week and according to my thermometer it's well above that out here in the sunshine today. For many communities uh, this is the fourth flood that they have seen in less than 18 months uh, and uh, some of those images are truly heartbreaking. But also of course for us in Europe we know that the Azores anticyclone is also moving north is beginning to if you like pile up over the Iberian Peninsula so that the kind of desert conditions that we have in the Sahara, if you like, are being moved north. So we've seen over the past couple of weeks 
temperature conditions in Spain and Portugal, um, which are really akin to Death Valley in, in California. They're not that much. They're not that much uh, cooler. Maybe a degree or so cooler than what is the warmest place on the planet. Uh, and we're seeing uh, as well that Azores anticyclone bringing really dry weather, bringing really drought conditions, not just to Spain and Portugal, but to many parts of southern Europe, uh, places like northern Italy, where the essential water supply of the river Po, which is so important for the bulk of the population of that country and industry and water supply for many of the cities, is, is beginning to be really problematical as well. So those kinds of changes um, are, are beginning to move north, if you like, and beginning to show up the Mediterranean as a climate hotspot. And you mentioned, John, that these patterns uh, used to be so few and far between. Like, I, I, you know, uh, we're still talking about the big snow of 2010. Uh, my mother likes to remind me of the sweltering heat in 1976 when she was carrying me around. So uh, these were always kind of few and far between events and now more and more common. Can we talk about Ireland and the changes we're seeing? Because we've had a very, very rainy few weeks and now we're in the grips of, of a yellow status warning where the sunshine is concerned. And as we move into Monday, then we can expect temperatures to break the 30 degree mark and those very hot conditions continuing with temperatures in the low 30s on Tuesday as well. This advisory for Ireland is a heads up that significant weather is expected and Met Erin says as it gets more exact details, it's quite likely this will be upgraded to a weather warning. We are, and uh, in a way we're fortunate in Ireland in that when these Spanish plumes of heat begin to move across much of Western Europe, we don't really get covered by them. We don't we don't we only get a glancing blow on most occasions. And we're seeing that uh, at the moment where uh, for much of the last few weeks, we've had an anticyclone, the extension of the Azores to the west of us, and it's been producing settled weather, but it's been producing nice, pleasant summer weather because the air has been coming from the uh, from the Atlantic predominantly. But now as that anticyclone moves into continental Europe and is replaced by a low pressure to the west of us, there's an engine of driving, if you like, driving the continental air from Europe now across us. But in Ireland, we often think of, of those places further south and in the developing world as the places that are suffering from climate change. And it's very much a mistake because uh, we in Ireland uh, are also experiencing the same kind of changes uh, as the global average. We've warmed up by a, just under one degree in, in the past century or so. Uh, and we've seen fairly significant changes occurring uh, even in our own climate here. Um, we, we've seen, for example, 15 of the 20 warmest years on record occurring uh, only in the last 30 years. Uh, we're seeing rainfall increases, um, I think around about 6% or so uh, on average in terms of, of rainfall changes. 
And that is bringing its own set of impacts to Ireland in terms of our, our agriculture, in terms of our water supply, uh, in terms of the risk of fires uh, and so on. So uh, we're not immune as a mid-latitude country. Um, we're going to experience the global average, if you like, uh, sooner or later of, of, of temperature change. And maybe it'll be a, a few years behind the rest of the world. But we're not going to be in any way immune from what's happening elsewhere. And, you know, a lot people like your mother, um, she will have a long memory of what things were like in the past. And that's very important because you can put the changes today uh, in context. And yes, we do get extremes like 1976, the, the very hot summer or the 1995 very hot summer. But what we're seeing now is that those kind of events are going to become more frequent. They're becoming more severe. And if you like, we're getting a heat wave starting from a higher base. It's starting from a one degree warming, not starting from the average temperature in the 30s and 40s and 50s, but, but now giving more potential to begin to, to cause those kind of, of, of problems. In the southeast of England, for example, the, the highest the hottest day of the year uh, has been increasing by one degree centigrade uh, every decade for the past uh, 60 years. So, you know, we see the way that's being ratcheted up there and we see the way in which records that have stood for a long time are beginning to be threatened at the moment in many parts of the world uh, as, as that warming proceeds. And for us in Ireland, of course, well, we wouldn't mind a bit of warming, let's be honest. It wouldn't be too detrimental for us. Um, but what we have to remember is it's not the temperature in Ireland that will be our problem. It will be the rainfall changes that it brings with it. And that's where we're going to have to be very cautious and very uh, ingenious in adapting to future climate because we now know from the models that um, we're going to experience more rainfall in winter in the West especially, which I think people in the West would certainly not like, um, but that's going to bring a flooding problem and we're going to experience drier summers in the East uh, where most of the people of Ireland live, let's be honest, and where most of the water demand is coming from, uh, both from agriculture and from domestic consumption. So it's going to cost us. It's going to cost us quite a lot of money. I was just going to say there, I mean, you quite rightly pointed out just at the beginning of what you were saying there, that we tend to look to countries uh, further afield. And, you know, we're looking at what's happening in Bangladesh at the moment and, and thinking, well, climate change affects Bangladesh more than it affects us. And it kind of brings me on to my next question, which is the difference between weather and climate change. Because for a lot of people, you know, they're one and the same, but they're not, are they? They're very different. And um, it's a very common fallacy that people mix up the two. A new study says that extreme weather events like floods, wildfires and heat waves are affecting most Americans and it might be making them take climate change more seriously. Weather is what we get, um, what we expect in the next day or two, um, or even the next week or, or season. But climate is a much longer thing. It's, a, it's, it's the average change that occurs, usually measured over a fingerprint of, of 30 years so that it captures the extremes. It captures uh, where temperature and rainfall is changing over a longer period. And that's the thing that's of concern. Um, we will still get cold winters. 
we will still get get uh, wet summers in Ireland, even if climate is changing fairly radically over the next few decades. But what we will see is that the frequency of those events will change as climate is changing. But we must never mix up the two. And it's something that's uh, it's often used politically, I think, by people who are, are not that clued into the difference between weather and climate to argue that climate change is, is nothing to do with what we're experiencing today. The damage is immense. As an official, I'm responsible for 150 houses. All of them are mud houses, and all have been damaged. In Mississippi, the hurricane has crushed coastal towns. Hundreds are feared dead. New Orleans lies in shambles. These houses need immediate repair for people to live in them. But people don't have the money. It is left without power, without drinking water. John, you talk about the planet heating up. Can you put it into terms that we can understand as to the implications of this increase? We now know that there are certain temperature thresholds which once passed will be very difficult to recover from. And those were identified when countries, 195 or so countries, signed up to the Paris Agreement. Two degrees centigrade was, first of all, thought of as the dangerous threshold, which we shouldn't pass for those for those major events to occur. And at the very last minute, the small island states said, well, two degrees is not enough for us. We are going to be gone at one 5. So 1.5 and 2 degrees have become the key elements, the tipping points for a number of things from which it will be very difficult to recover. And among those, of course, are um, things like the coral reefs. Uh, we know that the coral reefs have probably started to disappear already at the temperatures we're at and will be gone probably by 2 degrees of warming from various things happening in the, in the warming ocean. The coral bleaching that we've seen uh, in the Great Barrier Reef, for example, uh, it's going to be very hard to hold on to the Great Barrier Reef in the next few decades to come. And the other thing which uh, is, is important, of course, is that we're probably beginning to see the melting out of the Alpine glaciers. We had a catastrophic collapse in, in the Italian Dolomites this summer. Well, aerial footage reveals how powerful the avalanche was. You can see the scar running down the side of the mountain. It isn't immediately clear what caused the section of the glacier to collapse, but many have pointed to the effects of global warming. Here's Italy's Prime Minister on what happened. Perhaps indicative of the fact that the Alpine glaciers are, are going to go and they'll be gone by about three degrees of warming. But once we start that process going, it's very difficult to recover lost ground from. Similarly, the Arctic summer sea ice, um, we've seen that dwindle year upon year now for about 40 years. And you may think, well, that's not important, but it does have very important ramifications for where the jet stream is located and what kind of weather will come to, to Western Europe in the future in particular uh, as, as the jet stream moves and, and begins to give us maybe more wobbly, ex wobbly trajectories with more extremes. Uh, the other aspect, of course, is, and, and perhaps one of the more serious ones, is Greenland. And Greenland actually got above zero degrees centigrade a few summers ago. Uh, and at that point, of course, you begin to, to see ice melting on a grand scale. And Greenland has begun to dwindle. It'll take a long time to disappear, but it may well be something that 
even if we were to become very good about climate change and stop our addition of CO2 to the atmosphere, it may not be reversible. And of course, we've seen in the Antarctic, the West Antarctic ice sheet also going along the same road. So those are the things that were happening probably in that range of, well, commencing in that range, 1.5 to 2 degrees, which we'll be entering very shortly. Uh, many of those things are already underway at levels below 1.5. But there's a whole series of more serious tipping points down the road. And the Amazonian forest, for example, the, the Sahel, uh, the Gulf Stream. Um, these are the things which perhaps lie in wait for us at higher temperature increases. And quite honestly, we don't know what will happen with, with those things. We don't know what will happen if the Gulf Stream becomes really uh, unstable. We don't know what will happen if the Amazonian forest disappears and becomes a savanna. Um, and that will have global imp implications for climate. And these are the things you really want to avoid. But these are the things we're on the road to actually initiating at the moment if we don't get our act together. And of course, down the road, there are even worse things like the melting of the permafrost, like the, the whole of the um, Arctic winter sea ice going as well. Um, and again, you know, the melting of the permafrost has potentially very serious implications for the release of large amounts of methane uh, and a, a ratcheting up of a, a warming, which will make the Earth really very difficult to sustain its present population in. Adults keep saying, we owe it to the young people to give them hope. But I don't want your hope. I don't want you to be hopeful. I want you to panic. I want you to feel the fear I feel every day. And then I want you to act. I want you to act as if you would in a crisis. I want you to act as if the house was on fire. So I'm looking at the models there a few months ago and I was looking at um, the Arabian Peninsula where the models are suggesting that the mean maximum daily, the mean average temperature uh, by mid-century will get into the, the plus 50 degrees centigrade value. Now that's becoming very difficult to, to go outside in. To, it rules out a lot of outside work. It rules out an awful lot of habitable space. So, you know, those are the things which will create social dislocation, which will create conflict potential, which will create people moving on a grand scale. And those are things which we may think are far away, but which, as we now know, uh, can come home to roost very quickly in Ireland when people get displaced. So, you know, we must never think that climate change is only happening away in the developed in developing world, but not going to affect us too bad because we're going to still be able to grow grass and so on. We're going to face implications social and environmental from what happens elsewhere. And those kind of tipping points, those kind of values, um, therefore they're not meaningless, they're not abstract. They're points at which we have to sit up and take notice that do we want to be on this road or do we not? And my thanks there to John Sweeney, Emeritus Professor at NUI Maynooth and climate change scientist. And I think he's given us all a lot to think about there. 
I'm Siobhan McGuire and today's episode was produced by myself, researched by Garrett Mulhall with recording and sound design by John Smith. Archive clips from France 24, BBC News, Euronews, CBS, The National Geographic, RT News and independent.ie. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.